welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder community by having difficult conversations about the challenges they face to ensure no one fights alone. You know, we have some great guests on today. I think that uh, this is something that we have wanted to do for a while uh, and haven't really dove into this specific topic of families of first responders, relationships, loved ones. We, we've had a lot of great speakers on that share, you know, a riveting story involving their personal career and their growth, but we've we left out the impact that it has on people's loved ones. You know, that's why I'm really, uh, uh, I'm really excited about uh, the couple we're bringing on today, Austin, because they're uh, not only great friends, but they have such a great story. Um, and I'm looking forward to sharing and interacting with a little bit on the family side, the marriage side, the raising kids side, which is, can't be forgotten, can't be left off. It's, uh, it's so important to this first responder journey. And, you know, the great thing, too, is uh, I got the pleasure to see the two of two of these people speak in Terre Haute, Indiana at the Wounded Blue Survival Summit. And it was definitely a different take on things that I just I hadn't considered before. Right. And it was so impactful. That, And that's what that's why I love them. They're just so uh, transparent and vulnerable about their journey. And I don't want to waste any more time. I want to bring them on and introduce Scott and Liz Brown, not just great friends, but I consider them family. Uh, they're authors of the book Facing Evil, and uh, Scott experienced uh, a partner loss, and the two of them walked through that trauma together. Uh, Scott and Liz, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, so... Thank you, Austin and Brad, for having us. Uh, I'm Scott. This is uh, Liz, and we um, we've been married for 18 yeah. years. <laughs> Almost got that wrong. I was going to say 19. 18 years. We have three boys, 14, 11, and nine, and a lot of, and our, even our dog's a boy, so she is surrounded by testosterone in this joint. <laughs> so it's been without you know you want to just talk about marriage, and without going over the incident, it really doesn't have any context. So we're going to kind of really quickly share what happened on October 24th of 2014 when my partner was killed in the line of duty um, with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office. At the time I'd been there for about 13 years and I was on a, a smaller team, went around just kind of looking for bad guys uh, in general. And that particular day we ended up at a Motel 6. Danny was driving, I was the passenger. Uh, I've known Danny for 10 years prior to that. Uh, worked patrol, graveyard, you know, you know how it works, be partners for a long time vacationing together, family, my kids called him Uncle Danny, that kind of thing. Anyway, so we showed up at this hotel, pull around to the back, which is where all the dirt happened, uh, hookers, drugs, guns, that kind of thing. So we knew what we were looking for. And uh, Danny spotted this car. He jumps out, tells me there's two in the car. So I jump out, approach the passenger side, kind of a consensual contact type thing. While I'm dealing with the passenger, I hear about six shots come from the driver's side of the car. Obviously, I turn my attention over there. I don't see Danny. Suspect levels a gun over the top of the car. I'm by the trunk, so I don't know, let's say 10 feet away. Fires about nine rounds at me. I'm feeling them going by my neck, my head. Heard the first shot, didn't hear the ones after that. Uh, ended up returning fire through the back window. Suspect ducks down. I see the front post of an AR come up. He starts, uh, I decide I need to take some cover at that point. So I do uh, develop a game plan to go back at the guy. Uh, as I'm going back, suspect flees in his car uh, and makes it around the corner. That's when I finally see Danny and he's, uh, he's been shot in the head and I'd been around long enough to know at that point he was gone. Um, there's more to the story. The suspect actually continued on, shot a civilian a whole bunch of times trying to carjack him carjacked another female, took her car, went down the road, realized that was a little too public, carjacked another person, or tried to, I'm sorry, and then carjacked another person further down the road, uh, went up into Auburn where he was confronted by Placer County Sheriff's Office, uh, had a shootout with them, 
those two officers were able to scramble down a hill and get cover, but they, he ended up stealing their patrol car. Crazy story. And then uh, continuing on, got confronted by Detective Michael Davis and some of his partners. Uh, he re shoot out there. He ended up uh, shooting Detective Davis with his rifle, um, killing him, fleeing, ended up in a house. Uh, about every SWAT team in the area and uh, every helicopter was overhead, pumped enough gas to kill a small army. And uh, eventually that guy crawled out on his back, giving up. And then approximately three and a half years later, we had a trial for a death penalty trial for him and his wife, who was part of it as well. Uh, long story, that was literally just scratching the surface. It is uh, straight, just chaos. Um, but that's the gist of losing my partner all day. You know, and I don't want to make any, uh, you know, small uh, indications of what, what an absolutely awful experience that was, which is highlighted in your book. This is a fantastic book. Um, uh, of facing evil, which is so well written, and and the the accounts unfold just in such uh, great detail. But uh, thanks for sharing that, Scott. So I would really like to highlight your your passion now, which is speaking in speaking love into families who have experienced you know hard times. So uh, share with us a little bit about, and, and we can't get there without talking about the difficulties of walking out of that journey uh, as a, as a man, as a, as a law enforcement officer, as a spouse, Liz, uh, watching your husband, the pain of that journey and experience your own pain uh, of that. Share with us a little bit about what the impact that was on your marriage and uh, individually. So uh, to start off with, as a, as an officer, um, you know, we all know, we all have partners and, and we feel responsible for them. Uh, Self-guilt, self, uh, you know, the what ifs, the I should have done something, I missed something, it was my fault, I blame myself, uh, I was angry, I didn't sleep a lot, I had stomach issues, I had, like I said, anger issues, I couldn't be in loud places, loud noises, I wasn't sleeping, um, I was a complete, and uh, I don't know if you'll edit this out, but I was a complete asshole to my wife. Um, you know, not physically, but I was always running her down. I wasn't anywhere, you know, I wasn't a husband. I wasn't present. And same thing with the kids too. Um, and it all started with, I mean, a phone call. She got a phone call just saying I'm alive and, and she had to deal with that. Uh, and then, and then all the aftermath and then, and then not just the incident, but then coming up to the trial and all the anxiety that came up with that. And I can honestly say that without her, I wouldn't still be doing the job. I'm still working today. And, uh, I, I honestly don't know where I would be or what I'd be doing if it wasn't for her strength, um, but she's going through it too. So we, we can just start off with right afterwards, I guess, you know, what you had to deal with dealing with me. I mean, I was a wreck. Yeah. Liz, what, what was some of the things that uh, you were experiencing uh, after that phone call? Well, that is one thing I think our department did, right. Is they did include me from the very beginning. Scott called me within, I think 10 minutes of leaving the scene and the only message I got was, I'm okay. And the sergeant that was with him basically said, Scott is physically okay, but mentally he's not, and we're going to come get you. And so that kind of sent me for the spiral, not having any idea what was coming. They couldn't give me any information over the phone. The information I got was basically turning on the TV, and I got some insight. Um, but thankfully, I got to be with him for the majority of the day. But I also was there for Susan. So Danny's widow, um, when we found out that she was in San Diego at the time, which is about eight hours from us, and she was going to be flying home after getting this news, um, knowing that Scott was physically okay, I switched gears and really got, got into that kind of that spouse friend mode to take care of my friend who lost her husband. And it wasn't until later that it hit me that it was a 50-50 chance that if Scott was driving that day, I would have been in Susan's shoes. And so trying to navigate that and actually be literally put as a fly in the wall to live through that experience and picking her from the airport and driving to the coroner's office, being at the coroner's office with her, watching all the family arrive, the chaplains arrive, watching the sheriff arrive, give his condolences. And I just stood in the corner and I continue just thinking, oh, this, this could have been me, literally could have, it was it could have been me. And so I think that 
um, I had to sit with with a while. It was interesting too. I realized I didn't cry. I'm such a crier. I mean, I'm already crying now, but in those days, did not cry for three days. I could not, I was in sort of shock. I think because he was so broken, we couldn't both be in that situation. And so hold it. And then with, even with Susan too, kind of matching her, cause I had, it wasn't about me at that moment. And it still isn't whenever Susan's in the room, it's about her and how she's doing and matching her. Um, but as a spouse, that's a really, it's a hard place to be in because on one hand, um, I am so grateful, right? My husband is alive. I'm so like, how is this possible? I could have lost my husband. And then on the other hand, I'm devastated and grieving our friend, Danny, we had just gone camping with him a month before Susan. So that was a journey that I had to be on as well. Just kind of, he was saying that survivor's guilt, um, as a spouse, I had survivor's guilt as well. And anytime I was in the room with Susan or her family, I would just kind of get washed all over again. Like could have been me, could have been me. Why wasn't it me? Why wasn't it us? And so to walk down that journey together was tough. And then coming what the months, days later, not having the husband that I had before, not this man that came home was not the man that went to work that day and trying to navigate who this new person in our life was in this anger and um, coming alongside and supporting him in the best way I could. Um, but starting to sort of lose myself as well. And definitely in survival mode there, not didn't know it at the time, right? Cause that's literally all you're doing is surviving. Um, but we had three young boys at the time. Our youngest was only 14 months old. So we really had babies. We had three babies at home. So taking care of them, trying to take care of him was not an ideal situation. <laughs> yeah, we used to, it, one of the things referring to me coming home as a different person is prior to the incident, um, you know, I was a fun toy to play with. You know, <laughs> I was I was that guy, right? Um, and then afterwards, I was a broken toy. Uh, we were trying to find a way to put me back together so you could still play with me. We we knew I wasn't going to be the same again. There's there's just it wasn't going to happen. Uh, took us dude, really cr- quickly. We figured that part out. Uh, but just trying to figure out how to put me back together to where, you know, I could still be that somebody that you'd want to want to play with, right? So, how long had you guys been married at this point? So this ten-ish years, eleven. Yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, how was your relationship prior to that? Were you guys, how was your communication? Were there, was there anything else that was going on that uh, was causing issues? I think just having young kids at home, right? The the adjustment you have going from just the two of you to having three boys. And at the time, right, they were, they were like 14 months, three-ish, and then like five-ish. So three under six, basically. Um, a lot of your attention starts getting towards raising the family and you forget about the partnership and the marriage that you've got going on here. And I think you just kind of assume like, oh, they'll always be there, that we've got time for us. And right now we're really focusing on these kids and looking back, um, I think we probably were more in that roommate stage. We probably were more in that we're parents, we're getting, we're doing this together, but the romance, I guess I would say the marriage part wasn't as best as it could be. Um, well, and, and, you know, if you'd asked us probably the, that day, that morning or the day before how we were doing it, we would have said, yeah, we're doing fine. Right. I mean, it wasn't any, we weren't fighting. We weren't, you know, against each other or anything like that. Um, obviously we had the kids at home, which is stressful. We just, I'd only been on that team for about six months. And prior to that, I was on a graveyard shift for seven years. So we had an, a recent adjustment of switching schedules and what I was doing and days off. So, um, but overall I would, I mean, I'd say we were good and, and fairly solid with that, with our, actually with our faith, with our extended family, we, we had a great foundation luckily before that happened with the department, with some other things to give us a good, I mean, we had a great cushion to fall back on, I guess, I don't, without lack of a better word. And, uh, and we've actually thought about it since then, we, you know, we know a lot of people that aren't in that situation, right? They are either single or, or divorced and, and they're fighting those battles and they're having battles with their department and they're having health battles. And then, you know, I thought about how horrible I felt after the incident um, with all that great stuff I had going for me. And then I start thinking about those guys that uh, or officers that don't have that foundation that I had and then having a battle through that same stuff. Um, I just, I, I really... <laughs> I, I have a hard time even picturing some of that and what they would have to go through. 
So looking at uh, kind of kind of that model that you're painting, that that picture that you're painting of your marriage after uh, we lose Danny, do you know you're being an asshole? And Liz, are you are That's you? Right. He has no right? idea. You're you're not you're not actually recognizing. You're not that self aware. No, that. no, because we we actually were at a counseling appointment. Um, we we we'd done several things right based on some great advice we'd gotten from other people. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, you best of intentions, and you got to actually play it out. And so, anyway, long story short, we were at a counseling appointment, and she looks at us and and says, you know, how are you guys doing? And me, fat, dumb, and happy, no idea. Just, I mean, completely oblivious to the world. Oh, yeah, we're doing great. And then she looks at Liz. "Uh, Yeah, she does that, and I'm like, oh, crap. (laughs) Well, maybe not. uh, So, Liz, you're you're seeing the asshole. Yeah. Right? You're you're living with the asshole. Right? What was that like? Um, It was not good. I felt like I could do nothing right. Everything I did was wrong. Everything in the house was wrong. The kids were wrong. Like every, and he just had no idea. He was just, cause he, he took about three months off right after the incident. And when he went back, it was definitely a struggle for all of us when he went back and we got through it. But I think just like our kids, right? You hear about them doing great in the classroom and they're listening and doing well. But then when they come home, they don't have to do well anymore. This is their safe place. And we were there, his safe place. And he just had no idea how he was lashing out. And he had no idea that I would get the call, right? That I'm on my way home. And we'd be like, okay, dad's on his way home. What do we need to do? What, what do we have to clean up real quick? Like what's in the safe, like whatever. And run around and then bring the noise down or whatever it is. And there'd be moments too. And if he could recognize, maybe it wasn't a great day. It was like, drive around the neighborhood a couple more times. Like when you walk in the door, your dad. And that was my biggest thing. Like, I don't need to have my husband right now, but I need you to be dad. So if you can just hold on for a few more moments and be the person they need you to be, I will deal with it. Well, I thought I could deal with it for a couple of days, months, but when it started to be years, I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I got to the point where I was like, um, we need to talk. And this is kind of something that worked for us is I eventually got to the point where I would have conversations with them. And you guys, you officers, I should say, you solve problems in 20 minutes or less, right? You can't do that with your spouse. And he would do, right? He would be in cop mode all the time and we would have something or communicate. And I can already hear him solving it. I can already hear him not listening to what I'm saying, but already trying to solve it. And I could, I literally knew what he would be saying back to me So I realized I had to write it down. If I was actually going to get everything out that I needed that was on my heart and how I was feeling, I sat down one night and I just, I wrote. And I wrote about, it was like two, three pages, front and back, um, tear stains. It was a few. And one of the things I did is I just released how I was feeling. And it was all of, and just letting him know, like, this is where I'm at. When you say things or feel these ways, like I am not feeling supported. I'm not feeling loved. I'm not feeling like you're my number one cheerleader. Like you should, you should be my number one cheerleader. And I feel like I'm your number one enemy. Like I, this is, and by the way, I'm sorry, our dog's coming in the picture. Um, By the way, his parents were going on a three month RV trip and leaving their house empty. And at the end of the letter, I basically said, I think it's a good time for us to just take a break. Divorce, never an option. We, from the very beginning, somebody told us on our incident day that our divorce rate in our department was at 85% and a critical incident could make or break your relationship. And we kind of looked at each other and went, challenge accepted, not realizing what a challenge that actually would have been. And we got to that place where divorce still, we never actually use that, but I could use a break. I think I can use a break from you just as much as I think you might need a break from us. So that was the moment that turned things around for us. But that was probably about a year after the trial, right? Yeah, it was about a year after the trial. So we got through the trial, got through um, some special, I guess, therapy. That's when the EMDR and brain spotting, we can kind of talk about that too, but it still wasn't great. And that was that next step is, okay, I feel like you're healing. I feel like you're ta- now we need to take care of this because this 
is not going to last how it is right now for very long. So let's, so, so just to put a little, uh, a little more context to that to, to, and I know you, I know you well enough that I'm going to kind of put a difficult question in front of you. What, what does that look like? Are you talking at night? Are you not talking at night? Are you, Scott, are you coming in and just kicking the dog and saying, two points here. I want to talk about that, but then I also want to talk about the realization of, I'm going to call this a reality letter, right? Like I want to go into like, did he, did Scott realize the reality yeah. of what was going on with you? Cause yeah, this is four years, you know? Yeah. You're you and I are thinking the same, same thing. So I'd like for you maybe to, to put context a little bit to the listeners to, to bring some, some really you know, let's, let's be transparent here. What, is, what does it look like? What is, what does Scott look like on a daily basis? And what does Liz look like on a daily basis? I mean, what, what are, what's going on? Are you talking? Are you not talking? Are you fuck you and each other in the hallway? I mean, what's, what's that? What's happening? Before the letter, yeah. like before the letter. So, I mean, before the letter, um, it was just not talking, right? Cause had I been aware of the situation, I wouldn't have acted like that because that's what happened after the letter. It was a complete 180. I don't know if she mentioned that part, but um, prior to that, it was ignorance, right? I thought we were doing okay. I thought I was, you know, I was going to work. I was coming home. I wasn't, you know, yelling and screaming. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, hitting her, <laughs> you know, our, our context of a good husband kind of goes a little cockeyed when all we go is to DV calls. Right. Uh, so I thought I was doing okay. And so I think it was ignorance and lack of communication. That was the problem before. And she wasn't telling me what her problem was. And I wasn't telling her because I was going to work and I was holding it together at work. This is something we realized afterwards. I was holding it together at work to prove to everybody how tough I was and that I was fine and that I was going back. And then I would, you know, you got to let it out at some point. And then your home is the only other place for me, right? So I was letting it out, but I wasn't realizing it. Whereas prior to the incident, you know, I'd go to work and that was, you know, Danny and I would spend 12 hours together and, you know, you'd vent a little bit at work. You'd kind of, you know, whatever was bothering you, him and I would chat it up, you know, just like, like friends do, partners do. And I didn't have that anymore. I didn't have my person at work to vent to anymore because I was avoiding getting close to anybody else. And then add to the fact that I'm trying to hide anything. So I was definitely not sharing at work and I was holding it all in. Well, I didn't want to vent to her, but I was unbeknownst to me, if that makes sense. And then after the letter, so after I read it, I was, it, it, it was a kick in the, it was a kick in the nuts without putting it another way. It was like somebody I'd stood there open legged and somebody just came up as hard as they could. And that made my stomach hurt. I, I could, I couldn't believe that I was being that way. I, I, I could believe it, but I couldn't believe I was that ignorant, I guess is probably a better way of putting it. And so after that, things changed a lot. Um, you know, we talk a lot more. We go out of our way. We started, uh, you know, going back on date nights. We started, um, you know, I, I made sure at least once a month, and I still do it, that she has fresh flowers on the counter. Uh, thank, just simple things of thanking her for what she does around the house, sending a text, being goofy, helping more too. You know, my days off, I take the kids to school, that kind of thing. And honestly, since we started speaking for cops, um, as well, and going on these traumas of law enforcement things that we do. It's only a couple times a year, but um, it's it's a paid little. It's just her and I. Um, it's a paid hotel room. It's a couple you know meals, and we get to go out. Something we don't have time to do here at home for the most part. And so we still do once in a while. We try to make an effort, but that's a more scheduled thing. And so we find that those are kind of a recharge for our marriage too, because. Um, you know, we go out and I, we started this joke of when we do travel, whether it's that or, you know, something that she does through work, whatever it is, if it's traveling just the two of us, um, I always tell her ah, we're on our honeymoon. Now I'm trying to inspire her in a couple different ways, but <laughs> part of it is just to make it fun. Right. Yeah. I know what you're, I know you, I saw that look, Brad, you know what I'm talking about, but part of it is just to make it fun. Right. Hey, you know, happy honeymoon. And we'll say, I'll even say it to people at the bar trying to get them to be like, Oh, congratulations. When were you married? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but just trying to get the joy back in. And then uh, a kind of a recent one as well was we, you know, wanted to get healthier physically as well. So we kind of, we've been on this yo-yo journey for a while uh, between with trauma, you know, we, I, I lost a lot of weight. I gained a lot of weight. I was, you know, I was yo-yoing and same thing. And anyway, we wanted to get healthy. And so we, one of the things we started doing was taking a walk every night. 
And it was awesome because we'd do it after the kids went to bed and we'd go for a walk and 45 minutes to an hour and we'd have time. We'd basically download our day and talk. And it was perfect um, because, you know, guys, we, we are not good at face to face talking. We're just, you know, for the most part, we like doing something and talking. And it was, so it was perfect for me and we, we liked it. And that was huge for us as well. And then the therapy, the counseling, um, you know, helped as well. Liz, what kind of discomfort would drive a wife to write a letter of that magnitude? I still have it, by the way. It's next to my yeah. bedstand as a reminder. And every once in a while when he feels himself getting stressed, he'll reread it to remind himself where he was at and where he doesn't want to go back to. So great. It was just, I think between the survival mode and taking care of the kids and being with somebody I didn't recognize, and he was just angry all the time. And he was so upset. And I think too, because I was trying to find myself and work from home and be involved in events and didn't feel like he was supporting me to be somebody other than just his wife and just the mom to his kids. And I wanted to be more and didn't feel like that support was there. And he would just, it's hard to explain, but it was like he would put me down. He just, it felt like nothing I did was good enough. I couldn't fold the laundry right, the right way. I couldn't load the dishwasher the right way. If dishes were still in the sink at the end of the day, which is still an argument today, don't get me wrong, we're not perfect. But I noticed that there was some days where I would also have to work through this because I would be upset, right? Like, why are there dirty dishes in the sink? Why didn't he do his dishes? Him, 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 point, point, point. And then all of a sudden I'd have to take a breath, but like, gosh, but thank God he's home to have dirty dishes in the sink. Thank God I have his laundry to clean. So I guess that was a struggle for me too, where I had to still like that, um, survivor's guilt was sitting in as well. And so we just, neither one of us were in a healthy place, but I really felt like if we were moving forward, I just remember feeling in my heart that the quality of life that we had as a couple was not what I wanted for the rest of my life. And if it did not fix itself, if it, if we could work on it, if, and it wasn't always just pointing fingers at him. I know now like further down the road, but it had to be something we were doing together. And at that point, I think he was trying so hard just to keep it together at work. We were one place that he could not keep it together. And like he said, what one of the things we noticed in the many, because we did, we've attended many retreats. We have gone and we've reached out for help in as many places as we can. And one of the things I remember being, we were at a PCIS in Oklahoma. And one evening we sat there and I just looked at him and I said, can we talk about the happy times? All we talk about is losing Danny and all the bad times and all the bad things that have come from your career. And because before Danny, there was a few other phone calls that I had gotten. This was not my first call as a spouse. I've been in a car accident. I've been in a shooting. I'm not sure what the day looks like. I'm okay. But this is, I, you're not going to hear from me for a while, right? And as we were in that moment, I remember sitting in the hotel and I just looked, I said, can you, do you remember anything you like? And it took him a minute and all of a sudden he started telling stories. But the thing that I realized is it wasn't about the story or the call or the incident. It was the people he was with and it was the partners he had and it was the connections he had. And since Danny, he did not have those connections anymore. And he had kind of mentioned because he, he didn't notice it at the time until we started talking about it. He was so afraid to have a partner again. He was so afraid to get close again because he could not go through this loss again. He could not lose somebody else like he lost Danny. So he just started putting a hand up. And so I feel like that was a lot in a lot of his relationships is he just was trying to do it on his own. So at work, he was trying to do it on his own. At home, he was trying to do it on his own. And once we realized that, that he was missing that connection at work and we were missing that connection as a married couple and even the connection with his kids. He was just sort of going through the motions and the um, passion wasn't there anymore. I think that's really what started kind of turning things around for us. So Scott, did you also at that time fear that you may lose Liz? So you were pushing her away? Yeah, there was, I mean, it was a, it was a, without going into it, I guess a ton, but there was a huge, there was a big, big, like series of losses, I guess you'd say. 
Um, so we lost, you know, I lost Danny um, and we were really close, right? Um, and then a couple of years later, um, we lost another one of my friends, another partner, Bob French. In my 20 years so far, we've lost 10 in my department and then a whole bunch more locally. So, so the loss, I experienced it before. Danny was my first close personal partner friend. And then Bob was another good friend who was the very next one, probably two years, two and a half years later. Uh, and then my, and then my dog died right after Bob. And then, you know, just, uh, and then Dan, I, um, Danny's father and then Danny's dad died. And I was there for that. Um, the union VP who had been my man, like who was with me all through Danny's stuff, um, died of cancer. And just like, I kept having this, like, you know, and then just this dread of every time somebody sent me a text saying, Hey, can we talk or call me? The first thing that popped in my head was who's dead. What's wrong. Who's dying. What loss is it? Right. Um, and then add to the fact that 24 seven a day, there wasn't a time that the incident and the loss of Danny wasn't somewhere in my thoughts or conscious. Right. And that leads back to her conversation of, you know, let's think of something good. And so, um, I think, yeah, the lot, the, the risk of losing the Liz, the, the risk of losing another partner that I get close to the risk of losing all this loss. I was so afraid to lose that I figured if I took care of it myself, that I could somehow control that, which we know is asinine, but that was where my head was at. Well, we've already established you're an ass. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to highlight again, cause this is the rarity uh, for the no one fights alone podcast to have a spouse on here and a spouse perspective. So I, I, I'm not at all minimizing Scott, your pain, but I, I really want to dive back into Liz. I want to, I'm going to, cause I, I know there's going to be some, even the officers and firefighters and first responders out there listening that are, you know, have significant others and spouses, your perspective is really valuable here. So, you know, I, I call it loosely the discomfort. You're in a lot of pain at this point to write a letter, to, to get to a point that I'm going to write a letter because I'm making an assumption here. I'm fearful that I won't be able to get through a face-to-face communication adequately. Is that fair? Yep. Absolutely. So, so you are at a point where you're, you're feeling the marriage separation, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes. What, what is going on with you there? I mean, what, what is really going on with you? I'm looking, well, and I was looking at really, I mean, we're young, right? Well, I mean, we're not even 40 at the point at that time. I'm trying, not very good at math right now. Um, but thinking, I mean, we possibly have 40 plus more years together and where we were sitting, where we were in a relationship, I was like, there's got to be something better than this. And if it's not with him, it's not that I was looking elsewhere either. I mean, let's be clear. It's not that I was thinking there was someone else. I just didn't see my life being with him in the situation we were in. I just could not wrap my head about feeling, um, I don't know, so unloved, I guess, is really the best category. I just felt unloved. I just felt like, and it really started, I kind of put on myself, like, maybe I'm not the best person for him. Maybe the way he's treating me, maybe there is somebody better for him that can take this better than me because I can't take this anymore. I've been taking it for, I mean, four or five years at that point um, because really leading up to the trial, was kind of a nightmare. And I kept thinking, oh, we just need to get through the trial. Maybe it's just the trial. Maybe it's the death penalty trial. He's thinking, breathing, like he just has to get through that. Then we got through the trial and it was good for about a minute. And then it wasn't. And what we realized too, is because we had been kind of doing the work, but we really hadn't been doing the work yet. And it wasn't until things, like he said, he was holding it together at work until he wasn't. And red flags started to show up at work, kind of like they were showing up at home. And all of a sudden, that's the moment when things, I think, really kind of became eye-opening for both of us. And then he ended up having to take work off again for about four months. And that was the time, like I mentioned, we had gone to the PCIS. And I'm thinking, this will be this will be what fix it. This will be it, right? We're going to go to the, the PCIS. It's going to be for both of us. And now we've gone through the trial and we've gone through what he needed to get through. 
but there was still so much work to be done for both of us. And I think the hurt was so deep still that it wasn't until I finally, I think said this, we need a break or I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, Gosh, I'm not, I know I don't, I don't feel like I'm answering the question very well. No, I think you're I think you're uh, spot on. I, okay. I just want to point out uh, how incredibly uh, bold you have to be to actually write a letter like that and, and actually speak to maybe people out there who who are not that bold. I mean, we we condition in first responderville, we condition our loved ones to not ask certain questions and not. Uh, intrude uh, or be invasive of certain aspects of our world Uh, but the reality is um, what is what you're what you're unfolding here is is true this is this is our truth Uh, if something significantly impacts us uh, on this level those relationships are going to take a toll and I I'm I, I love where you're going with this so yeah thank you well it also adds into the point that like you know everyone knows how high the divorce rates are in, in this community, right? That's that's a huge point of, of why you guys are speaking at these in terms of police survivors, uh, these Wounded Blue Summits, all of these type of things because people are having similar issues that you guys went through. And so if you were to be talking to another couple right now, like what are the starting points for them? Because I know that you hinted on communication you hinted on, because uh, it seems like both of you are willing to put in the work, which isn't always the case. To answer that and kind of backtrack just a little bit, um, when we were going through those hard times, and I want to reiterate this to the the, the officers, the the, the firefighters, who, you know, the first responders out there, um, we get so wrapped up in our jobs and our day-to-day, and, our, and that's our worth and everything else, right? That, I mean, I want to reiterate, I did not have a clue. I was completely clueless as a, as a paid observer, right? As a trained observer, I did not see any of it coming. It was a, it was a complete blindside. And, um, and back to when we do talk to couples and we've had one-on-ones, uh, cause we joined, we kind of started doing some peer support and, uh, um, I joined our peer support team with the agency. Um, she started a spouses group. So she's doing a lot of peer support in that way. But when we do talk to couples, like you said, if they were to ask what's one thing, what is the one thing if you were to give any advice that is going to help or push or save or whatever, whatever it is they're looking for. And like you said, we always try to end with communication because in our lives, in our marriage, even to this day, when we are not doing well, we're not talking. And, and, and when I say communication, it can go back to that letter. It can go back to the walks. It can go back to, you know, the trips or whatever it is. If you're not communicating, if you're not talking, if you're not sharing whatever it is that's going on, and whether it's the day-to-day or a big incident, you're doing yourself and your marriage a disservice. And and I'm going to use the same example that I use when we go talk, and I use it everywhere because every first responder, whether it's a firefighter, whether it's a a cop, whether it's a medic, a nurse, um, military even probably. So here's my example. You go to a call, you go to that incident, and it involves a child right? And that child didn't make it and it was a bad scene, you know, that kind of thing, right? We've all been there. It, it, it affects us probably more than most other calls, um, or at least probably should. Um, and you come home to your significant other and what do they ask when you come home? How was your day? And what's our answer? Fine. And there's a lot of versions of this, but I was always taught that fine stood up for fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, Right. But you say you're yeah. fine or okay is another one, right? Because we can't use big words. Fine's a little too many letters for us. So we say fine or okay. We go change. We go do our thing, whatever our routine is when we get home. But we're still thinking about that incident in our head. We haven't shared it with them. And now we're that dick that I've been, that I was for years, right? But we're that person walking around the house. We're short. We're aloof. We don't want to do anything. We don't want to play catch with the kids. We don't want to make a decision for dinner. We don't want to do anything other than probably fold into a couch and watch a TV or play video games or whatever it is, right? But because we told our significant other that we are fine or we're okay, now it's their fault. What did I do? What did I do wrong? Why is it? Why is he being a jerk to me? I must have done something because he said his day was fine. Okay. Change that scenario even slightly. You have the same incident. You see the same horrible thing, but you come home and she asks you how your day was. 
and you say, you know what? It sucked. I had a call and it involved a dead kid. And she says, do you want to talk about it? And you might say, nope. Or you might talk about it. At least it spurred the conversation. But even if you say nope and say the rest of the scenario is the same, you walk around and you're that same jerk that you, that you were in the first one. The big difference now is even that small communication now at least they know why you're that jerk. And I'm not saying it justifies you being like that. I'm not saying that it's okay. You need to find a way to kind of work through that. But at least now they know it's not my fault. He's a, he saw this thing and he's trying to work through it. You know what I mean? So communication, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your counselor or a peer support, your friggin' dog, you got to let it out because if you hold it in, it's a poison inside. You know, I think it's such a, such a great point that you bring up because, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate it because, uh, you, you, you're talking about coming home with, um, bad attitude, uh, good intentions. You're, you're, you're not wanting to take anything out at home, but if, as soon as you walk through the door, that bad attitude, uh, transfers to our loved ones, our spouses, our significant others, and they start taking that on as, what did I do wrong? He or she apparently doesn't want to be here. So it obviously must be me. And, and Liz, am I, am I accurate in that? Yeah, there was many days that I literally had to play a mantra in my head and go, it's not about me. It's not about me. There's something that's going on, but it's not about me. I knew enough that he was struggling at work or struggling to keep it together. So when he came home, then that was a mentality I had. But it, you can only do that for so long because then it does start to feel like it is about you. But I did. I played that in my head. It's not about me. You know, I have the I obviously have the pleasure of, of knowing you. You and I, you and Scott and I have, um, you know, family history, as it were. Um, but there's so many loved ones and spouses out there that, that aren't as bold. You're, you're a very bold person. You're, you're, you're big, you're, you're, you know, personality. Um, but for, you know, for people out here who are not, uh, maybe don't hold themselves in that maybe high, high esteem. Um, you know, how do they, how do they have those conversations? What, what advice do you give loved ones, spouses, significant others to, to help foster the healing of the relationship. Well, it's interesting too. I just spoke to a spouse the other day and with tears in her eyes, she said, I was always afraid of the call. I was always afraid of the death, right? Like he wasn't going to go home. I never was aware of what he'd actually bring home. And that to me was so eye-opening because so many spouses, that's what they think about. All they think about is my gosh, what if he doesn't make it? What if he gets that call? What if whatever? And then I get the call and they don't actually consider what they're bringing home from the job and how that's affecting him. And my biggest advice is just is get connected with other spouses. You're not alone. And as soon as you meet other people that may or may not have gone through things and you don't even have to go through a major incident because that's sometimes where others don't want to talk to because, well, I didn't go through what you went through or my stuff isn't as big. And like, we all have stuff. It's just different stuff. And we've just always, the only reason people want to talk to us is because we talk, we're transparent. And my ultimate goal is I hope your healing journey doesn't take as long as it took us. I mean, we're still eight, nine years out and we're still dealing with stuff. I'm dealing with stuff. Like let's be real. The spouse side is very real right now. And it took about eight years to kind of get there because I was holding my stuff together for so long for Scott. Now, so it's showing up now for me. And I feel like that's what a lot of um, people that we do talk about is they just think they're alone. They're the only ones that are going through it. They're the only ones that have the nightmare. They're the only marriage that's having problems until you find out that a lot of marriages around you are on their second and third marriages. And they're not getting better because it's the same people that are still in the marriages. And you want to read the books, right? There's resources. And that's one of the reasons we even wrote our book because we figured if we're one story somebody can read and relate to and know that they're not alone and they can see themselves on this these pages, that's what we're hoping. We're hoping that they find those resources just a little bit faster than we did. Um, show up if you don't have a spouse family association or some kind of support group. There's national groups out there or figure out a way 
to create one for your local agency. There's ways that's the biggest thing is find other people, other support, other spouses to talk to, because ultimately you are not alone in this. And it probably feels like it if there's nobody else that you've met that you can just relate to, because there's something of Something crazy about our officers, but there's even something crazier about us that love them. And we need to see other people in the same situation. Sometimes it's just having coffee with someone. I mean, I today, I have somebody that reached out and said, I hear you give support to um, spouses or girlfriends, of, and I'm starting to date, I don't even, you know, a first responder. And I'm like, you want coffee? And I want to be like... I don't know what to tell you in the beginning. I don't even know what to tell you, but I can tell you that you won't be alone and to find other people because we are, we're just a little crazy. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and for your question about, you know, for the ones that aren't as bold as her, um, I think part of it is you've got to realize what the consequences of not asking those questions are, right? As hard as it is to do that, um, what what's the risk if you don't? Um, whether... Because for us, I know right from the beginning, we decided that we were going to say yes to things that we wouldn't normally say yes to. We were going to step out of our comfort zone, unless it was like completely left field. If it could help us or we thought it would help us, we would say yes and we would try it. What was the worst that would happen? We'd be out an hour of our lives, right? Um, but we we made that decision right away. One, that it wasn't going to break us. And two, we would, you know, counseling isn't normal for me. It isn't normal for us in general, right? We don't like to go do that kind of stuff, but I knew it would help. So I said, yes. Right. Um, and several other things that we've done. So for those couples that it's like, I don't want to say anything because it's, it's uncomfortable for me or it's not my, it's out of my comfort zone. Get over yourself, figure it out because the consequences of not doing that is way more disastrous and way more uncomfortable than you, you know, breaking away and doing that. You know what I mean? So, and, and we're huge proponents uh, on this podcast of therapy and that's something I wanted to, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk about your guys' experience on the therapeutical side. You know, what what was it like to go to, I'm assuming it's marriage counseling, I'm assuming it's individual therapy. You know, get, talk a little bit about that experience for, for those that haven't tried that yet and maybe some recommendations on that end as well. So it, it started out with me. Um, you know, I, I had seen my department one as we all do. And then, and then we realized we obviously needed more after that. And it started out simply with talk therapy. And then I was still having nightmares. I couldn't talk to somebody without seeing Danny's face with, uh, a, you know, a hole, that kind of thing. And it's very hard to hold up a conversation like that. Um, and, and she suggested a journal. And I said, guys, don't write diaries. And she said, no, it's a journal. Buy something with leather, leather on it. You'll be fine. And I did. And it immediately helped. And it realized, and I, it quickly made me realize that, wait, these people aren't witch doctors. It's not voodoo. They can't actually help. And so we started doing that um, and then it, it developed into couples therapy and we both, we both have done EMDR, uh, which helped us a lot. Um, and, and look it up. It, like I said, again, I, first time I saw it, I'm like, this is some weird shit. There's no way I'm doing it. It is, but it's amazing and it's proven. Look it up, research it, but I recommend it. Um, we did some brain spotting and I would say the best advice that we got from somebody within my own department that had been through a lot of stuff himself was keep checking, keep looking for therapists. If you don't click with the first one, that doesn't mean that you give up. Um, we probably went to about five, I would say, before we finally found the person that worked for both of us. And this isn't to say that the other ones we went to weren't any good, didn't know what they were talking about. They were probably great, except for one of them. But for the most part, we were looking for that connection for us. Because for us, we were looking for the couple aspect. We were looking for the law enforcement aspect. And then we were also looking for the faith aspect because that was huge in our recovery as well. And we found counselors that were good at one or the other or two, but not the third. And like I said, we just kept trying because this person said, keep going, just keep trying until you find that one that clicks and it will make all the difference in the world. And after our first session with her, we both, as we were leaving, we both looked at each other and said, yep, this is the one we found her finally. And we are still checking in. We still go to her now just for check-ins. And uh, I guess that's probably, I mean, you got well, anything else? Yeah. And besides just the one-on-one -on -one therapy, there's so many retreats out there. And so we attended um, the Concerns of Police Survivors. There's actually a co-workers and couples retreat because they found out pretty early on that 
the coworkers were going and they were getting the help, but so many of them were saying, I need to figure out how to bring this back to my spouse. My marriage is on the rocks. How can we save our marriage? So then when they brought the spouses, we actually were a part of the very first year. It was kind of their trial year. And they said, let's see how this is, if it's coworkers and the spouses. And it was eye-opening. They thought, oh, this is, we have to do this every year. And we've attended, I think, four out of the last eight years. And we've brought other couples with us. But that was huge because we discovered early on, too, the, the more that I could be involved in the situations, being with him at the department that the day of the incident, being with him with any of the memorials, and especially during the trial, any time that I could be by his side and experience as much as I could, um, the less conversations I had to take afterwards when he, we just knew because I experienced it with him, that was helping in our walk-in therapy or healing as well. And then the retreats, because he did go to a retreat with just the coworkers, and he even realized as well that he, it was okay being on his own, but he'd rather, because we were walking side by side in this healing journey, that he wanted me alongside as much as possible. So the cops had one, um, the PCIS, the post-critical incident seminar, we've attend, that, we attended that one in Oklahoma. I'm actually attending one this summer that's only for spouses. So it's strictly for spouses of first responders. And I just learned about this retreat just a few months ago. So knowing that there's more out there, then maybe it's not just that one-on-one -on -one therapy you're looking for, maybe it is a group therapy, because that's something that we discovered too on those weekends is it wasn't just the therapist for us, but it was learning other couples, walking through it together and creating those relationships. Because especially even that first weekend, Scott was craving an officer that had been on scene losing his partner. He didn't even realize that he needed that connection until he was walking through his journey more. And then I didn't realize that I needed the spouse as well because somebody just needed to understand like what were we going through? And at the same time, we met a couple where he was on scene with his officer and she was dealing with stuff with the hospital and just getting that call that day. And so they've become really good friends of ours. And as he mentioned, we've lost three since Danny. Our cops friends were some of the first friends that would call us when we they saw the news that Sac County had lost another officer and they're the ones calling us like, we know your band-aid just got ripped off. How are you? What are you doing? Do you need to talk? We're here for you. And so they didn't even need to have real conversations. It was enough to go, we're praying for you. We understand what's going on in your heart and mind right now, and we've got you. And so that, I think, has definitely been a part of our journey as well. You know, we recently just interviewed uh, and had on the podcast Max Morgan, and he was uh, he was talking to that very thing, which is that community that nobody wants to be a part of. But once you're a part of it, uh, it's uh, family, and and for for it, it does space and time don't matter to that family. Um, you're 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 a phone call away from any significant hey how you doing phone call. Um, uh, this is this has been amazing. I, I kind of want to, I wish we had more time, but I kind of want to wrap us up a little bit with giving you both the opportunity to maybe give a message of, if there's couples out there that are not doing well, Scott, let's start with you. If there's couples out there, um, you know, first responders out there that maybe, hey, my, my marriage is, or my relationship's not doing well, what message would that be? And then Liz, I'd ask the same of you from the, from the, non-first responder side what what do they do where do they go where do they turn you know what's how do, how do i how do i save and salvage what's going on here well what i want to say to the officers because i know our our mentality right if your partner was shot and behind a car and there was you know somebody you would go through hell and back you know whatever you needed to do blood sweat mud doesn't matter you would do everything in your human possible you would do it to get to that person to help them to save them to get them out of that situation right and, and all of us would say yes if i asked anybody that scenario they would say yes but yet i've heard time and time again that oh, i just you know i can't do it anymore with the marriage and you should be fighting just as hard for your marriage as you do for that same scenario which you know it's a different look but it's the same idea i you don't give up never give up we don't give up it's not in our book it's not in our vocabulary it's not in our possibility and that includes like i said going back to get out of your comfort zone talk to your peer support if you have one in your department 
Talk to your, uh, you have a most departments nowadays have a list of counselors that you can go to that are approved by the department or a friend that has, hey, we talked to this person. Um, you know, find a mentor couple that, you know, has been around the block and still made it through those same things that you can talk to. Um, I guess probably the biggest thing for the officers is, is we would never give up on our partners out on the street. You should never give up on your, whoever, your spouse, significant other that's at home with you. Liz, how about you? Um, I think as a spouse too, is to find the resources, but know that you both have to be all in and you both have to surrender to it too. That it's not all like, that was something I had to go through too, right? I couldn't always point the finger at him. I had to point the finger at myself too, because there was two in this marriage and we both have to fight for it in that you're not alone, that there is other people going through it. Um, there are so many resources, resources out there and so many people that will come alongside, find another couple maybe that you look up to and you're seeing their marriage is thriving. You see um, that they, their kids are healthy and not in jail. <laughs> Whatever you're striving to be as a married gift, that's helped us too, is coming alongside. And um, even with like parenting, like I'm working hard to be a good parent. I still need to do the resources and the work to be in a marriage because it's not, it's not easy. Let's let pull ourselves like marriage is hard. And if it gets hard, that's not when you walk in, you just have to dig your heels in harder and figure out because it's worth it. It would be, it's worth it at the end of the day to still be together 40 years from now. Yeah. I can't picture fi finishing this career after 30 years and then turning around and she's not there. That would be horrible. Liz and Scott, such a such a treat. If if somebody's listening and wants to uh, wants to reach out to Scott and Liz uh, Brown, how do they how do they find you? Well, um, we have several options on that. Um, we have a web page you can go to, and it's uh, www.scottandlizbrown.com. It has it's really complicated. It's really hard. Yeah, it's our names <laughs> with and no spaces, any of that kind of stuff. And uh, you can go there. It has you know little bios on us if you want to remind who we are. There's actually a link to the book. You click on that, it'll take you right to Amazon and you can go get that if you want. Um, it looks like that. Um, and that has everything that we've talked about and then some. And then uh, you keep going down and there's a link. You can email us uh, or you can email us directly and it's pretty much the same exact thing. It's Scott and Liz Brown at Gmail, Gmail, right? At gmail.com. And we are, I love getting them, whether it's a question, whether it's a state, hey, I read your book. This is what I got out of it whatever it is. Uh, and we are great at responding right away to them. So you can email us that way. Um, it also, that webpage also has several links to, to various podcasts and different things that we've done. I'm assuming we'll hopefully get the link to this one. We'll post that on there too. So if you want to see any of our old stuff, and then it has a list of all our upcoming events. So our three TLEs for cops that we're going to be doing, um, a home watch that we're going to be doing for how to love our cops coming up here soon. That's listed on there. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at a church here locally. So we try to keep up to date. So if anybody wants to either see us, if they're in those areas or um, what have you, they can get the information there as well. Um, I think that's about it, right? And I, I have to say, you know, uh, we, I did take a copy of your book when I, uh, we left from Indiana and that has become a staple for the first responders in our facility to read when they are looking at, you know, the, the marriage and the family and uh, how they may need to be a little bit different moving forward. So I want to say personally, thank you for, for having that resource for people that really need it. Cause it's, it's a wonderful, I read it too. It's a great book. So I, I would love for the listeners to reach out and uh, get a hold of that. Thank you. It is a fantastic book. I would encourage anybody in this uh, first responder community to pick it up and give it a read uh, because the the compliment is how transparent and vulnerable you two are. Uh, Liz and Scott Brown, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing. Love you both. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. 
Chateau's comprehensive and individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues, it addresses the why. Each of their trauma-trained and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the county to treat responders and veterans, in fact it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour, all badges, all uniforms, all scrubs, educational experience, helps you create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. FRTC's National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent licensed behavioral health clinicians, who teach from lived experience not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive, educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details go to their website 911overwatch.org or contact first responder trauma counselors at 970-222-4193, this could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.